What up, guys, and welcome to another episode of Summer Lunch Break. For today's ep, we are sitting down with the incredibly talented, determined, and badass Alexa Score. Alexa is a truly inspirational individual, and today she shares her story of being diagnosed with myeloid leukemia at the age of 16. Despite being chronically ill, Alexa lives her life fearlessly and seeks out adventure in anything she does. She is a true inspiration to anyone that lives an active lifestyle. Alexa has been a part of the wakeboarding industry since her early years, taking a leap and moving from the small town she grew up in down to Orlando, Florida to pursue a life of wake. Not only is this girl insane on a wakeboard, she kills it on screen as well. Alexa is the host of not one, but three TV shows, not to mention co-hosting the 2022 Pro Wakeboard Tour with legend Parks Bonifay. Okay, enough from me. Let's hear from the gal of the hour. It's Alexa Score. You know what I'm really scared about is if the wakeboarders get too close to shore, they may use some people on the shore as, as bonking items. summer lunch break. Thanks for having me. I'm stoked. We are so stoked that you're here. Number one question of the day we have to ask. We ask everybody, what did you have for lunch today? Well, I just had some leftover pizza, made homemade pizzas last night. Um, I love pizza. I could eat it three meals a day. Yeah. Uh, and so of course I had the leftovers today for lunch. Perfect. Perfect. Well, the yes. great thing about pizza, I feel like you can combine every, like almost every food group. So it's really, totally. it's, it's the most balanced meal out there. Yeah, it's it's yeah. pretty healthy and nutritious. I actually did put some fresh acorn squash that my dad grew in his garden. I put those on there. So it, there were vegetables on there. Oh, I love it. No, that's perfect. Yeah. It's it's squash season. It's September. We're, we're moving into fall. We got to start eating our gourds and whatnot, even though <laughs> I don't like squash, but that's okay. <laughs> it was delicious. I, well, that's all that matters. As long as you like it, that's what matters. I was in a, my culinary arts school or class in high school. We had to make like squash something. And I liked my teacher so much. Like I thought she was the dopest lady. She was like, do you like it? And I was like, mm-hmm. It's so like, good. Mm -hmm. It's such a good recipe. Okay. So we're going to get in enough, enough about me and my high school, my high school stories. We're going to get into your story and we're going to start with kind of your backstory. I've got a million questions to ask you. So we got to get going on it. Otherwise we will be here all day. <laughs> Fire away. All right. Let's start with where you're from, where you grew up and just kind of go from there. Yeah. I grew up in a small town called Spicer, Minnesota has a thousand people in it. Super small. We have like one stoplight, um, but we don't have a lot, but what we do have is beautiful lakes. So grew up on a gorgeous lake called Green Lake. And that's really where I fell in love with water sports, at least for yeah. the short three month season that we have. But right. um, yeah, that's where I, that's where it all began. Yeah. That's over here in Oregon. I mean, same thing. Like we get three months and if you don't make the most of it, it sucks. Like you really have to be on the boat every single day. Otherwise it's like, you're like, what happened? Summer's gone. Like, oh my God. Yep. So yeah, you got to make yeah. the most of it. Go ahead. Definitely. I feel like people, a lot of times are like, 
wait, you're from Minnesota. How did that work? But yeah. I think it, people get more, are even more passionate about water sports in the places where some are shorter because get it for like when hour. it's on, yeah. it's on. <laughs> and like you yeah. said, you're totally unfulfilled unless you, unless you are like out there every day, taking advantage mm -hmm. oh, every absolutely. possible opportunity. Yeah. It's like a lot of our customers too, you know, they were coming in this year. We had kind of weird weather where like, it didn't get hot till July and everyone was like, what happened in June? We got gym. Right. Like, yeah, I know it's been a rough year, but September has been good. So we've been getting out as much, as much as possible this month, at least until it gets absolutely freezing out there and we can't go. Right. Good for you <laughs> yeah. though. Yeah. I you gotta, you, you gotta make the most of it. Absolutely. So getting into water sports kind of early on, what did you start out doing? Were you a skier? Did you wakeboard first? I mean, were you a, a kneeboarder? <laughs> I, <laughs> I do pretty much everything, but I don't need board. Um, <laughs> I grew up show skiing. So there was a water ski show team in my small town randomly. Uh, and so I'd grown up, you know, watching that, or at least when I was super young watching it. And I was like, I want to do that. My family wasn't really into water sports. Um, I mean, we were lake and water people, outdoors people, but um, I just, for some reason, really, really was drawn to the water ski team, got involved with that when I was nine. Um, and at about the same time, my sister, who's nine years older than I am, was starting to wakeboard with her guy friends. And so, of course, being my older sister, I wanted to do everything she was doing. And so I got <laughs> super like interested in wakeboarding at that time. But I was really doing all of the activities, not really focusing on wakeboarding until I was okay. 15 or 16. So I was swivel skiing. I was barefooting. I was awesome. doing the pyramid, do you name it. Yeah. Um, was doing all of that, but just really, and still just love being on the water. Honestly. Absolutely. Oh yeah. Really my, what you're doing. That's, that's pretty rad. My, uh, my cousin did a show ski team here in Oregon and I all, I would go cool. to the practices and I'd be like, if I pull the skis out of the water all night, can you guys take me skiing? You know, and I, I wanted to go. I thought I was so cool because I would climb up on somebody's shoulders. So rad. When you, so, so getting fun. into swivel skiing, like, were you doing the whole, you know, like foot in the harness, like spinning and all, yeah, all that? Yep. Toe holds. And I actually, when I was 12, I went down to Boniface Ski School. So I skied with Parks and cool. Shane's mom, Betty. Um, so flew down from Minnesota to Florida, oh, right. um, stayed with Betty for a week and swiveled, but yeah, we, um, do all of the tricks. So toe turns and overheads yeah. and 360, 720s. So cool. It's such a cool, I feel like it's such like, it's literally being a water ballerina in the coolest way possible. It, it's so rad. It is so rad. The different speed than wakeboarding for sure. Right. For but sure. it's still, I mean, the amount of skill that it takes to do it is it's, it's pretty, it's epic. Okay, I won't so, say it's harder than it looks for sure. Everyone's yeah, always like, yeah. oh, I can do that. And then I'm like, okay. No. Yeah. Happen. You're going to stand <laughs> like, backwards and hold on with your feet. Okay. Go for it. I'd love to see you do it. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Okay. So getting into water sports early on, did you, at what point, like, did you start thinking like, maybe I can do something with this? Was that even a thought? I mean, early, like, did, were you planning on doing something else as a career before everything else happened? Yeah. I mean, I wasn't, 
I mean, it was definitely a dream. So I started getting really into wakeboarding when I was like 15. I was Mm -hmm. a gymnast. I was kind of a tomboy. So it was, and I loved the water. So it was kind of a combination of all my favorite things. Um, And then I just knew that I wanted to be able to live in Florida and do it full time. Where that was going to lead me, I did not know. Um, So I packed up my bags and graduated high school early and moved to Orlando when I was 17 (laughs) just so that I could wakeboard all the time and um you know I was planning and I did and I went to college um yeah you know wanted to at least get an education while I was doing that and I didn't actually compete in my first wakeboard contest until I was well when I was 20 I did my first legitimate wakeboard contest Mm -hmm. I had done like two here in Minnesota that were very very grassroots but didn't even really get a feel for what competing was like until I competed um, in nationals in 2010 when I was 20 years old. So I didn't really grow up in that scene. So I just Mm -hmm. didn't really know how it worked. Like I wasn't exposed. My family wasn't involved. I wasn't Mm -hmm. competing in the junior women's division. Um, You know, I didn't really at that time or when I was super young have mentors who had been through it and go, okay, this is kind of how this process process works if you want to pursue it here's what you should probably Mm do um so I was kind of just flying by the seat of my pants I was lucky enough (laughs) to get picked up by liquid force and then shortly after spy um and then on my 21st birthday I rode my first pro contest at Waco um yeah I know I got iced on the dock when I got back from my first (laughs) the judges iced me that was pretty dope. Um, so yeah, it wasn't, it was never like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. And I know mm-hmm. for sure I'm going to succeed. It was kind of like, I don't really know what the hell I'm doing, Whatever. but I'm going to go yeah. for it. Right. And, but I'm still going to be responsible for myself. You know, I still for a long time had to, to work other jobs, to pay the bills and, and, but I just knew I wanted to be on the water as much as I could. Yeah. Um, yeah. so kind of a different path than a lot of, especially the totally. females anyways took yeah. getting there but you know it also works out too because then you're just a little bit different there we go it's okay to not be traditional I feel like that's yes. that's a good it's a good thing so well, moving, we all don't have the same resources right, right like exactly. not everyone that's, mm-hmm. has that's that available thing. I hear a lot of the times too you know like some some people I've talked to are like, oh, I had no, my family didn't have a boat. I went on my friend's boat and I learned how to ride back there. And then it just like kind of happened, right? And then you've got other people I talk to that are like, my parents had the boat. We're out at 6 a.m. every morning training right. hard. I'm like, it's just so crazy how different some people get brought into this world. It, it, it's, it's pretty totally. interesting to hear. So moving to Florida coming from, you know, small town, you get this short summer, everybody's going hard in the summertime. You come to Florida, was there a big shift in that, like the, I don't know, the drive of people to be out on the water to go ride? Yeah. I mean, when I was growing up, uh, we didn't have a wakeboard boat and I just had, Mm -hmm. I had a couple of friends who had wakeboard boats, but they didn't like to wakeboard. So I'd have to like, (laughs) forced Please. them to pull me basically yeah. <laughs> and he hated me or we had a ski like an old ski boat so me and my sister would like pull each other behind that but you can't if you're trying to compete you know yeah. it's hard to train behind that 
and then, you know, go to a contest and the wake is right. literally four or five times. Yeah, exactly. um, so moving to Orlando, you know, I didn't know anyone. My sister and I moved together, but I didn't know anyone else that lived there. So for me, the most helpful tool was the cable. I just yeah. got a season pass at the cable park because I didn't really know anyone with the boat. So I just started riding there. Um, and obviously it's way less expensive if you're talking about, right. you know, riding consistently. So that was a huge help for me. And then from there, really met people there, met other people in Orlando cool. and then got more opportunities to ride. But yeah. I owe a lot of it. to you know, being able to just hit the cable park. Yeah, absolutely. When we went, I've only ever ridden one time at OWC, but when we went, I was like, holy, if we had one of these here, I wouldn't get anything done. I would literally, <laughs> no. I would not have a job. I would not have anything going for me. I would just be there all day. It was it's so wicked just, fun. <laughs> yeah, to go. And it's different than riding behind the boat because you don't have to rely on anyone else. Show yeah. up when you want, ride for as long as you want, leave when you want. Um, so it's it's definitely unique and a lot different than riding behind the boat. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Okay, I want to tap into a little bit. You mentioned that you graduated high school early. Obviously, yep. there is some background reasons as to why that was. And I'd kind of like to just, you know, as much as you're willing to share with me, you know, yeah, how, what happened, you know, and, and how, how it happened. Well, so I, when I was like 15 or 16, I had actually came up with this crazy idea um, that I wanted to graduate high school early and move to Orlando because someone yeah. else that I knew who lived somewhere else, uh, my okay. friend Dan Olson, who we water skied together, but he wasn't from my hometown, but we skied together. Okay. He had done that a few years earlier. So I was like, oh, I want to do that. Um, and then when I was 16, I was diagnosed with leukemia, uh, which is cancer of the blood. So mm -hmm. I wasn't sure how long I was going to live. I was on, I started an experimental medication, which you know, the prognosis was just very unclear. How long will right. this work for me? Will mm -hmm. it work um, uh, in managing the cancer or bringing it down to a safe level? If it does work, how long is it going to work for me? And at that time, um, it was unlikely that I would be stable for very long. So having that diagnosis, I got very, very sick um, shortly thereafter, then kind of started to regain my strength and feel a little bit better, even though I was still on this medication. But at that time, then I, like, I was still determined to move to Florida. And yeah. at that time, no one was, no one was going to stop me anyways before, yep. but then people definitely could stop me. Cause yeah, what are you going to no say way. to this girl who's sick, you know, yeah. potentially dying of leukemia. And I was like, this is what I want to do. I at least, and that was part of the reason why it was like, Hey, I just want to be on the water. Like that's right. my favorite thing. That's my greatest mm -hmm. passion. I want to be in the water as much as I can. So, you know, at that time, becoming a professional wakeboarder wasn't necessarily at the forefront of my mind. Right. I yeah. didn't know how long I was going to survive or how long I'd be healthy mm -hmm. for. So that was a big, you know, I would say catalyst for allowing me to do it and not having people judge me or not having people like, Mm -hmm. tell me I was irresponsible yeah you or... can't do it you're like really you're gonna yeah. talk to me like that right now yeah yeah exactly so um you know one of the the silver linings of that situation was that it it led me down uh, to Orlando or allowed me to do that and um 
yeah, it's pretty crazy how it all unfolded though. Yeah. But I mean, so I was still dealing with that and I still am now, but was still dealing with that when I first moved down and, Mm -hmm. and uh, started competing. So that just adds another element of, you know, all kinds of things, whether that's financial or physical or emotional or mental, uh, just adds another layer of things to deal with. (laughs) Yeah. One more thing. Why not? Right. Yeah. But uh, so why, why did you opt for, if I can ask, why did you opt for the experimental treatment over the more traditional, it's bone marrow, right? So bone marrow transplant, Mm -hmm. um, a couple of years before I was diagnosed, bone marrow transplant was the only treatment option. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and even at that time, the success rate wasn't that high. Um, Shortly before I was diagnosed, this medication called Gleevec was developed uh, by a researcher, but they didn't have any long-term studies on this medication. So when I was diagnosed, they told me to get a bone marrow transplant. I was lucky enough to have, have seen a doctor that said, look, a bone marrow transplant might, if you survive the transplant, it might cure you of your leukemia. However, that procedure, especially at that time, will lead to many other issues. So you're opening just as host yeah. disease. Um, I met a girl that was, I met a girl years later, who's my exact same age. We were diagnosed two months apart. Um, she opted to have a bone marrow transplant. She was a three sport athlete and she, her, it, the bone marrow transplant destroyed her bone marrow and she was never able to jog again. Like she was never able to do sport again. So I was just very lucky to have come across a doctor who a knew about this experimental medication. Some doctors that I saw were like, we've never even heard of that. Yeah. But not only know about that, but had, you know, the courage to say, Hey, this experimental medication might not work for you and it might not work forever, but I think it'll buy you time and it'll allow you to have a couple of years of, of better quality, um, I think it's a better option to try it than to go straight into bone marrow transplant. Yeah. So really, I owe it a lot of, I mean, my life basically to this doctor, Doctor Yoav Messenger. He's awesome. Um, shout out. <laughs> but yeah, shout out for real um, to him because yeah, like I said, other people who are being diagnosed at the same time were just being shipped off into bone marrow transplant and didn't even yeah. know that this was available. Yeah. Um, well, that's cool that you took that risk and you, you made that decision for yourself. That's really rad. Um, yes. my, my, I was going to make this connection because my brother's girlfriend, they've been together for like nine years. I think by common law, they're married at this point. He's going to hate <laughs> sure. that I yep. just said that on here, but she was actually, she was a part of be the match. That was like a huge thing on my college campus. Like there was always Love be, be the, the match, match tent up in the quad. Everybody was rolling through. There was, you know, all everybody don't, you know, signing up to donate. She was, she got the call that she <sighs> was a match. And yeah, oh she, gosh. she went through the whole process. We were talking about it just the other day. Cause I told her, I was like, I'm going to talk to Alexa. And I kind of wanted to recap on, you know, what your experience was like. And she still is very close with all the nurses that would come visit her, oh give her, her shots at the house. Like such yeah. a cool, like so cool. Just so cool. I, I wish totally. that I could have been a part of the be the match. I, so I have type one diabetes and so I can't, sure. I can't, I would go like, be like, yeah, sign up. Yes. Like, so you can't up. donate. Like, I, 
can't. Like, I can't help. So did my but, part with just uh, encouraging others to yeah, do raising it. raising awareness. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and for those who don't know, so for many diseases, not just chronic myeloid leukemia, but for many, um, bone marrow transplant is the only chance at survival. So there are even people that have my disease where the medications don't work for them, but there are many other blood disorders where people need bone marrow transplants to survive. However, to find a bone marrow match is super, super hard. Uh, I was lucky, super lucky that my sister was actually a perfect match. Super rare even that your family is a match. It's just hard to find. Um, But there are a lot of people um, that die every single day because they're waiting for matches. And so to donate your bone marrow is at no risk to you. You can actually, you know, you go in, you get these shots, but then you go in and basically they take your, your blood out and centrifuge it, or they have to go in and extract it from the bone, which it's kind of painful, but there's no risk involved. And to potentially save a life is pretty amazing. So very, very worth it. So everyone listening, look it up. All you have to do is literally swab the inside of your cheek to get put on the bone marrow registry and potentially like, um, your brother's wife. Yeah. uh, (laughs) (laughs) She's going to love that. Save a life. Literally. Yeah. That's so cool. That's awesome. It was a really cool, like we were all, they live, uh, up in Washington, but we were all just like, Oh my God. Like we're so stoked that you're able, like you're, you're presented with this opportunity. Like obviously the other individual is very excited, but for her, it was, it was cool, you know, to be able to do that and still have that connection now with them is that just was like unmatched. You can't, you can't beat that. So I want to ask before, like, before you were diagnosed, Mm -hmm. you knew you were sick, right? Yes. Like you knew, Mm -hmm. was there, was there kind of like a point in time where you were like, I mean, did you feel like people knew you were sick or you were telling people you were sick and they weren't listening? I mean, just kind of that, does that make sense? Yes. Yes. So okay. <laughs> I, I knew something was wrong with me. Uh, my bones, my, the inside of my bones hurt and I knew it was the inside of my bones. I would say that openly um, to my close friends and my mm-hmm. family um, and a couple teachers once it got bad enough, but everyone was like, your bones hurt. What does that even mean? This doesn't make any sense. Um, and it got, and I was living with my dad and he, of course, you know, he's tough love guy. He's like, well, let's just wait it out. Let's just wait it out. Let's just wait it out. Um, you know, it got to a point where my coaches, I was a gymnast, my coaches noticed like, she's not herself, certainly Mm -hmm. not herself. Um, both mentally and physically, it was, you know, very severe, I had even seen a doctor who just brushed it off and said, it's just uh, muscle spasms. You know, you're growing, you're in sports, it's muscle spasms. Um, So it wasn't until I had an accident in which I needed stitches. um, And when I went to the emergency room to get the stitches removed, my mom actually came with me and made the doctor just give me a blood panel, like a very basic blood panel um, to which we, it was, totally off the charts awful right Um, yeah yeah so yeah there were a lot of people that did they just weren't listening and I think Mm -hmm. or you know a lot of people unless they've experienced it themselves like I was very in tune with my body and I was pretty tough kid if I complained 
there was something wrong something for sure. You know, I wrong. wasn't yeah. doing it for any other reason, but it was affecting my life. Um, and, but you really have to be an advocate for your own health. And I say that mm-hmm. to a lot of people now, if something doesn't feel right and you, you can feel that in your gut, you have to push for your own care. So yeah. sometimes even if you see a doctor and they, you know, they blow it off or they, you know, tell you, you know, you're crazy or you've been, you've been on WebMD too much, you know, you know, you're freaking yourself out. Like if you know, something's wrong, it's worth it to get a second or a third opinion and really advocate for your own health and your own care. Totally. Totally. Was there, so when you get the diagnosis, was there, and I say this because different in my case, obviously, but getting my diagnosis when I was, because I was diagnosed when I was seven, it was like, I was so messed up off the charts, like losing tons of weight, couldn't keep enough water down, just so sick. Like, you know, being Mm -hmm. told that that was what was going on almost kind of like after, you know, you soak it in, but it's almost like, oh, okay, that's why we can fix this. You know, there's, there's, there's an answer. And I am, I'm wondering if like, as weird as it sounds, was there almost a sense of like relief in your diagnosis of like, yeah. See, I, I knew it. You know 100%. I mean? Um, you know, I, first of all, I was like, okay, see, <laughs> like to everyone, yeah, everybody. Yeah, you like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But no, definitely. I think, um, a sense of relief knowing that there's a cause to the problems, but also a sense of relief of, okay, we know what's wrong. Now we can try to fix it. Mm-hmm. That, that was even the bigger thing. Okay. We know what's wrong. And now we can move forward. Whereas before I was just in all this pain and there was nothing that I could do about it. Um, so obviously when you're 16 and being told you have cancer is not an easy thing to hear, but for me, it was like, okay, good. Like, all right, let's go. Now we, we've got, we get to make some progress or we can work towards a goal at least. Um, so it definitely was a sense of relief in more than one way. Epic answer, by the way, being 16 and hearing you have cancer and saying, let's go, let's bring it, let's, let's go. do it. Yeah. yeah well, they, they were a little, the doctors were actually concerned because I wasn't emotional. Mm. Like I wasn't upset and I wasn't, right. you know, they were, were like, okay, it's natural for people to like be really upset. I feel, yeah. Not, about, you know. right. But that's just kind of where my headspace was at the time. Like, you know, okay, let's let's fix it now or let's Mm -hmm. try. Right. Yeah. Let's fix it. So you get diagnosed and you're also in your mind, you're like, I'm going to Florida to wakeboard. What (laughs) was, what was making that leap like, you know, with this new diagnosis and basically new life because things change and, and stuff starts being different. What was, what was making that jump like? Well, I should probably clarify that there was a period of time after I was diagnosed and starting this medication that got it. Okay. Everything, everything was up in the air. Um, I was super, super sick, uh, to the point where, you know, I wasn't, I didn't have the energy to get out of bed, like even stand up or to get out of bed. So there was definitely a period of time where things were unknown. Um, you know, survival was definitely the number one, like, am I going to survive? But number two, am I going to have a quality of life that is tolerable or livable? Um, Mm -hmm. I was the physical pain being the biggest issue for me at that time. And, um, just strength 
Um, you know, like I said, I was spending most of my time in bed, but then also on some pretty severe pain medications because of yeah. bone pain. Um, and even those medications weren't really helping. So it was, there was a, a, a good amount of time where it was, um, you know, I was sick and then recovering and then adjusting mm-hmm. and then figuring out how, what scenario was best for my quality of life. Right. Um, and so it took a long time to adjust. And then once I kind of started feeling back to myself, yeah. I was just like, all right, I'm, I'm out of here. Yeah. <laughs> like I, this that is, was, yeah, that's what I wanted to do. And like everything became even more clear than it had before. Mm-hmm. Um, so once I felt better, yeah, the, I didn't, the adjustment was fine. I just jumped into it and went, um, but it was that period of time, um, where things were very strange. Yeah, absolutely. Would you say that that drive of wanting to go wakeboard, wanting to be on the water, is that something, you know, when you were in bed for the whole day, because you didn't want to get up, was that kind of in your head of like, I can do this, I can get there at, you know, one day driving? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, you have a lot of time to think when you're stuck in bed suffering. And that was definitely something that was on my mind. I remember when one of the doctors told me that I had to have a bone marrow transplant to survive, but that meant that I would need to, I would be living in a hospital room and couldn't leave that hospital room for a hundred days. And that would have, they were like schedule it. And that would have been over the summer. Mm -hmm. And I, I mean, that was a devastating thought to me, a devastating blow. So you know, as sick as I got on this other medication, it was still like, it gave me a goal, you know, gave me something to to look forward to. And, Mm -hmm. you know, when you're in that situation, having hope and, and your mindset is everything. So having something to look forward to was really, really key. And that was, you know, wanting to be on the water. A wakeboard. Yep. Very cool. Very cool. Well, you're badass for that. I will. And that's, that's sugar. Or that's saying it very lightly. So good for you. Well, I, I really incredible. appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, getting into what now, okay, now you're in Florida and we're wakeboarding, right? We get picked up yes. by liquid force. Do you, were you a part of the team or, or what, uh, just a sponsorship? How did that work? Yeah, I was a part of the team. I wasn't competing like everyone mm-hmm. else. You know, my sponsors didn't expect me to go out and win contests because that wasn't mm-hmm. really who I was. I had kind of a unique role where um, I was the girl that got called to do commer- television commercials or mm-hmm. you know stunts in a movie or that kind of thing. My role was a little bit different, and um, in that, yeah, I wasn't expected to. I mean, I was I competed on the pro tour for a number of years, but yeah. there wasn't pressure to like win or mm-hmm. <laughs> you know they want you to they want you to do as well as you can, obviously. Possible, yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> they know I wasn't a contest rider, so. Um, my role was just a little bit different in that case, um, which now, and this is like, I'm really dating myself, but that was even like before social media was a thing. So now mm-hmm. obviously sponsorships have changed where it's like, yeah, right. a lot of people don't compete because mm-hmm. you don't need to compete to be visible. But at that time you that kind of did you, like, yeah. yeah, that was the scene. You know, you, not many people didn't compete in those mm-hmm. contests because that was, where you went to be seen so it was kind of unique uh yeah and 
and di a different, I had a different role than a lot of the other, you know, wakeboarders. Yeah. So, okay. So if, if getting to the top of the podium was not the absolute, like, reason you were on the team what was what was driving you to compete in competitions um well it was kind of like I just said that was just kind of what you had to do at the time to just um, be yeah to be yeah, present to in be that a, yeah be present and be a part of the industry before I was riding I was also working on the pro tour yeah. um um which made a lot of sense when I started competing because then I was like okay they're paying for me to go to this contest, you know, in I'm addition to my too, sponsors, you know? <laughs> yeah, it was great. Um, but yeah, at that time, that's just kind of where, you know, like I said, even the free riders were competing there or the people that, you know, were known as free riders were competing on the pro tour because that's, you know, where you were seen. This is before, you know, Instagram. So right. crazy as that sounds. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's come a long way for sure. Big, big yes. difference nowadays. So while you were competing, you know, I, I like to ask people like, were you, did you feel like you were getting out of it what you were putting in? Um, I think so. You know, I didn't have, I was going to school at the same time. I wasn't, I didn't have a coach. I wasn't yeah. training uh, mm -hmm. as certainly not training as hard as the other people competing. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I wasn't going in there expecting to win because I know that I wasn't, that I, a didn't have as hard tricks, but B didn't have the consistency and the competition experience and the training to go in and, you know, get first at worlds. Yeah. Um, it was always, you know, somewhere in the middle, which is fine, but um, I think so. I think, you know, wakeboarding is a unique sport where, look, it takes a lot of money to do it. And yeah. uh, I had one, there was one junior pro men's dad. They would, you know, come to all the contests and we, I mean, we'd always chat with everyone. And I yeah. had one um, junior men's dad say once, you know, no matter where my son goes with wakeboarding, we'll never get back the money we put in. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes it's just, is the case like it you know if, if you're people are out there you know buying the boat and paying for the gas and spending the time to pull your kids and by all means if you have the means to do that that's great but in a lot of situations yeah it's it's just yeah. the nature of what the sport is it's very yeah. expensive um mm -hmm. and that's where things like the cable and those types of things are great for those people who don't have the access yeah. or the means to to doing the other stuff um, but I think for me, um, you know, wakeboarding led to other things and it got yeah. my foot in the door in other places and other opportunities. So that is what I'm most grateful uh, totally. for, for yeah. sure. Yeah. So what, you, what years were you on the pro tour from when to when? I think 2011 to 2013 or 14. And then I okay. rode. I did a lot of cable contests after that, yeah. but behind the boat okay. was just for three years. And then, yeah, they did cable stuff. More cable. So are you, would you pick cable over boat if you had to pick one? Um, probably. Yeah. If, if we're talking about like wakeboard contests yeah. or like something that I would try okay. to get. Yeah. And I think it's, yeah. you know, like I said, it's just, um, I really love both I would rather free ride 
behind the boat and like have a day, you know, boating and surfing and doing Mm -hmm. all the things behind when you can do everything all at once. When you can do everything all at once. Yes. (laughs) I would rather free ride behind the boat than like train to compete behind the boat. Yeah. That's, I get asked a lot too, like, you know, a customer will come in and they'll be talking and be like, so what do you do behind the boat? I'm like, on a good day, we'll try and do a little bit of everything. It doesn't matter. Like <laughs> yeah, you gotta get yeah. all of it. Why not? Right? Like I'm not gonna yep. pick one. That's that's totally. <laughs> yes, I mean it is a lifestyle sport, and being on the water, you know, it's, yeah, it's different than you know walking into a gym to play basketball. Like you, when you go there, you're there to play basketball. When you exactly. when you're on, having a day, you're having a boat day. You could be getting into anything. Yeah. Um. So yes, free ride on the boat. You can do anything. You can get out there. Yeah. Okay. So riding on the pro tour, what's, you know, one of, one of your fondest memories of that time in your life being on the pro tour specific competing and that sort of thing, just traveling with this crazy, fun, diverse group of people of all ages and, and all backgrounds and, you know, really like people from all over the world and traveling the world with these people and the memories that you make off of the water are definitely, you know, the, the funny, memorable stuff. Yeah. Very nice. Very nice. Okay. So after competing for a while, took a little bit of a break, but for 2022, you were all over the pro tour. It was awesome. I know. It was so fun to see you back doing that. I mean, that was way cool. So I kind of want to break that down, you know, co-hosting with Parks. How did that come to be? What, what happened, right? Yeah, it was so fun. So if we rewind to 2018, um, I was and for a couple of years, just kind of ready for a change of pace, ready for something new. I moved back to Minnesota because I got an opportunity to work in television, yes. uh, hosting an outdoors TV show and working for the Minnesota Vikings. So mm-hmm. I moved back to Minnesota and just kind of dove into this TV world and was yeah. very lucky and I'm grateful to have had um, success and be very, very busy in this space. Of course, yeah. then we went through the pandemic where that whole scene kind of everything stopped yeah (laughs) stops like everything else um but then after that all happened you know things just kind of picked right back up I you know host two different outdoors shows on Sportsman Channel and Bally Sports and also the Outdoors Channel now uh work for the Vikings still I'm on camera for the CW Twin Cities which is a television station here and then Um, got the opportunity to come back and work on the pro tour. And that has just been so fun because I haven't really been exposed and fully, you know, obviously keep in touch. I'm still very active in water sports here in Minnesota and I keep touch with all those folks, but I haven't been at on the pro tour uh, for many, many years. So getting back there and seeing some old and a lot of new faces, but just being in that scene again, was so fun, um, you know, getting to work with Parks, who is a longtime friend, yeah. and seeing him develop his skill, and us just having that friendship and that chemistry, it's totally. really fun to work with someone on camera who you, you know, you have that with, right, um, and then of course, Zano being there for some of them, and the whole, the Alliance Multimedia crew is rad, hilarious, so fun to work with, but also super professional, so we're making yes. a really amazing product, 
but having a lot of fun doing it, which is pretty much all you can ask for. Right. It's the best of both worlds. Well, it's been really fun to watch. You guys have done like so amazing. It's so entertaining and you just, your energy, just when you're, whether you're talking to somebody or just talking about what happened is so pure and just like happy. It, it really like creates an amount of stoke for people watching. So it's, it's really rad. Well, good. We love to hear that. And of course, you know, that's the number one thing The people, it's nice when, you know, the people who are involved are truly passionate about it, you know, whether that's the guys behind the scenes producing or directing or Parks and I, like, you know, this is, this is our lifelong passion and we're here to share that with people. Yeah. And it's cool too, to have a gal on screen. I mean, that's just like, I think being a girl, it's one of those things where you're like, yeah, let's go. That is (laughs) really cool to see that. Love to represent. Yeah. Oh, you gotta, yeah. Somebody has to do it. So with this year, it was interesting and you'll have to correct me if I'm wrong. It was all virtual or no. I mean, I only watched it virtually. So there was a couple in person. Yes. There were two in-person events well three in-person events okay. uh, the first and the fourth stop were in-person events but there weren't crowds so it was made for it was media. just okay yeah yeah yep and then there were two virtual stops and then this past weekend we had the team challenge which we yes. didn't have spectators at that was down in nashville um so a little bit of everything but i think yeah. you know there's an adjustment period since um the whole pandemic thing and kind of getting used to what works and getting people back into watching stuff live and coming to events so I think there'll be I'm not sure I think there will be a lot of exciting changes for 2023 I know that they're already talking about it so I'm excited to see what happens next year yeah hell yeah that's awesome I was gonna say because there's the entry was like a video entry right that's how you got in my for a, um, for a couple of them were video. Yep. Stops two and three were um, video based. And so Got that's it. how you okay. were judged and, and whatnot. Okay. Um, and then this past event, there were captains and they got to pick their teams, Very cool. um, which was fun as well. Yeah, that's really rad. I was lucky enough last year, we got to watch the team challenge in person. That was cool. pretty cool because I've never really seen like actual like a professional comp go down in front of me. It's always on a screen being from right. you know, the Northwest way over here. It's far away. So that was really cool to see. And this year I thought it was cool that they did the captains and that kind of stuff. That was rad. So yes, very, very cool. Okay. And I want to ask like with it being partially virtual, partially in person, do you think that that was it kind of sounds like you kind of already answered this question, but that was a progressive move for Pro Tour. Yeah, I think yeah. so. I mean, I think it also, um, it, they serve different purposes. If you're going right. to have a great in-person event, like the one in Nashville, the conditions aren't going to be as great because it, it, you kind of have to give one thing up for another. You know, when right. we did those other events uh, down in Orlando that we didn't have spectators at, it was perfect conditions maybe not the ideal site for people to come see so you know it's it's kind of a trade-off but I I think what was really cool about this year's pro tour is that you got to see a lot of different riding you got to see really consistent technical contest riding then in the video aspects you got to see people put together a little five you know or three minute video parts that were kind of um 
these little creative pieces. And right. then at the team challenge, you got to see, um, you know, captains pick their teams with one double up, one female and one male run. It was just mm-hmm. a lot of different stuff versus, you know, five traditional stops, right. which really keeps it fun and exciting and allows different people to shine in different yep. moments. Yeah. Oh, totally. I think it was cool. It opened just so many more doors for just different ways of going about competing, which I think is really cool. Cause that's, I've heard a lot of people when I, I do these interviews, I'm like, what does the contest scene need? And everybody's like style. There's like, right. we need more style. We need more pizzazz, like do something that sets you apart, which I think technical is obviously so important, but that style is like, that's what gets the eyes on you. That's what makes you stand out. So being able to do that in different ways is so cool. And I will say, I mean, the the pro tour, you know, it's still insanely technical, but it is, it has the most style that it has arguably ever had, you know, with the guys like Sam Brown and Mossy and those boys, they are really bringing it and they're able to, you know, be up on the podium. So that's really cool to see. Yeah, absolutely. Well, speaking of Sam Brown, the uh, Red Bull Double or Nothing, how was that event? You were there, right? Yeah. Yes. Very good. Very um, good. That was a blast. That was one where, you know, uh, Red Bull always markets their events really well. So people showed up and had a ton of fun. Again, mm-hmm. just a lot of people in town in Orlando that weekend because we had refs, um, premiere there were a couple of premieres that weekend and then that contest so to have everyone back in Orlando big time yeah big time yeah like a reunion um and so much fun and then of course you know to have an event that really pushes creativity and pushes you know potentially landing a trick that's never been landed before um that's the kind of stuff that people want to see you know that regression oh yeah Oh yeah, for sure. Well, shout out Sam for uh, taking the dub that day. That's pretty rad. We've nice. got some, I made him uh, buy me a yeah. drink. Yeah, very, very good. Yeah, <laughs> he owes you. Yeah. yeah, he had that big check. Like, yeah, there we go. Me you got the couple extra dollars. To... Oh, that's funny. Okay, we've got a couple hot take questions I'm going to ask you. Okay. And so we're, it's three, but here we go. With the way the industry is moving right now, what do you think is the biggest accomplishment that it has had within the past year? 10 seconds. Oh man. Well, I would just say just getting back <laughs> to having, getting back to having events. Yeah. Bringing me back on board. No, um, getting back to having <laughs> events and getting people there. I mean, I think, you know, I saw so much excitement rolling towards the end of the season, even like, yep. okay, this is like, the riders are excited to ride. I mean, there was so much excitement at both double or nothing and that team challenge. Um, people are really excited to be a part of the scene again. It's like, yeah, wakeboarding isn't going anywhere. Um, Mm -hmm. of course everything evolves and has to naturally, but I think, you know, getting back to events and getting back to having people there and getting back to having, you know, sponsors that believe in the industry and, and who can do cool things. That's the biggest accomplishment. Yeah. I, I hear a lot, you know, like, Oh, like wakeboarding's is so small. The industry's so small, small, whatever. I'm like, yeah, true. But it's about the passion that's in it and the people yeah. that care, care right. so much. And that is that you don't find that other places. So it is, I mean, totally. it's sick. And yeah, to bring people back together and 
have real eyes on the comps is just, it's really rad. Okay, question number two. What areas in the industry need improvement? Oh, um, well, I would love to see getting more people access to the sport. Yeah, um, I like you know, that. More, you know, what I'm really trying to do uh, here in Minnesota, me having my mastercraft on the water, I'm trying to get yeah. people who have not been exposed to it, maybe who have never done it or just not had the opportunity. Totally giving an open invite and getting people on the water and, and spreading the passion. It's yeah. pretty amazing. The success rate of bringing people out who very rarely does someone have a bad time or right. not have a yeah. great time. Yeah. Like they leave and they're very interested and very hooked in mm -hmm. all water sports. And I think, you know, that is instead of just looking within the industry, we really need to like look at when growing it and expanding it and, and, you know, sharing it with people outside of the industry. Yeah, totally. And that's like, you know, you taking people out on your boat with you. We do here our events of being able to get people out. Those are some of my absolute favorite, even though, you know, for me, it's like, that's a long day's work, whether you're driving the boat, yep. you're down to the dock, whatever you're doing, it's hard work. But to see people leave and be like, so stoked or come back in, to the shop a couple days later and buy the board that they were demoing because they were like that thing is crazy i'm taking it on my friend's boat that is sick like it's so totally. cool to see so cool yeah to i would see. say i spend 80 percent of my time pulling people versus yeah. <laughs> actually riding myself but that's still very fulfilling in itself so yeah yeah it is it's it's Waterfall. good it's good to have people happy behind the boat when you're behind the wheel because then you're like yeah that's on me right. like I'm doing yeah that. yeah, <laughs> yeah. give myself props for that right all right one more question in our hot takes is who would you say had the hottest year within the professional division for 2022 both for men and for women oh my gosh <sighs> well I mean for at the contest, in the contest scene, for <laughs> yes. Corey to, you know, come back, Nick Rappa is so consistent and is so yeah. talented and just is very, very, very dialed in when it comes to contests. So to see Corey, um, you know, come back and win the overall was pretty dope. But yeah. with that said, you know, the La Familia crew is still succeeding and really like leaving an impact on the contest scene. Mm -hmm with the style, with doing things entirely different. Um, but I think, you know, Corey had had obviously the most successful year just taking yeah. the W. Um, and on the female side, you always have to mention Megan because she's the queen. Um, she on and off, you know, the wakeboard or the, the contest scene, she's crushing it. Um, yeah. But Mary Morgan Howell, I just met her for the first time in person last weekend. She's so sweet. She's the coolest um, person I've ever met. So I, sweet. <laughs> she's amazing. Um, you know, I think she had kind of a breakout year for herself, yes, um, which is cool to see because we need new faces. We need, yep. you know, we need that. So that was mm -hmm. really, that's been really fun to watch because I've been watching her on social media and then, uh, you know, got the chance to meet her last weekend. Yeah. So, yeah. or two weekends ago, I met her at Double or Nothing, actually. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, there's, there's 
new faces. There's, you know, we've got the goats out there still, but yep, that new blood is important. And I think it's important for, you know, stay competitive, but also understand that, you know, to have an industry, we got to have people coming in. Yep. People coming in and people uh, shifting. Yeah. So that it's right. a big, shifting I think it was roles. a big, yeah, big year for, for some younger, younger individuals, which is cool to see for sure. And yeah, Mary's the type of person that she gets out there and absolutely rips it. And then like you talk to her and you're like, I feel like I'm like a bad person. You're so nice. <laughs> like so nice. I'm like, ah, like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I it's just so love true. Her. Absolutely. It's the, so sweetest, true. the sweetest thing. And Megan too. I mean, I, I love them all. They're all wonderful. They're all so sweet. Like it's, I think it's badass when girls are just so nice and then they get out there and they destroy it, find the boat. I'm like, yeah, sick. That's pretty yeah, sick. Badass. <laughs> yeah. So badass. Okay, you mentioned being a TV personality. So we got to touch on that. You do a lot yeah. of cool stuff. So I'm trying to like navigate how to, how to incorporate it all. But let's talk about working with the Minnesota Vikings. Big win this weekend. So that's pretty exciting. <laughs> yes, they did. Yeah, that's been a lot of fun. Um, I was super involved again when I, I moved back here because um, I got the opportunity with them. And so being able to, you know, be exposed to that whole industry, which is massive and wild and amazing. I've yeah. been a football fan my whole life and I grew up in Minnesota. So I was a Vikings fan my mm -hmm. whole life. And so to um, be a part of that has been really, really rad. It's been so cool and have met so many amazing people along the way. But, you know, from that, you get all kinds of other opportunities as mm -hmm. well. Um, yeah. so I stay very, very busy getting to also travel for my outdoor shows. Um, yeah. I have an off-roading show called destination Polaris. We get yeah. to travel around the world and ride Polaris machines in the most beautiful places in the world, um, which is so fun. And then I host another show called made for the outdoors. And I just love meeting people and hearing their stories and totally. then, my job is to share their stories and I take great pride in that. So um, it, it's really fun to be excited to go to work and to have something yeah. that you're proud of. And, you know, when my job is, is to make things and I like, because I write and I produce the shows as well. So to be able to make something start to finish and then share it with a yeah. pretty large audience, that is really fulfilling for me. Totally. Totally. It's, it's wait, what you do is cool. And I think it's cool that, you know, you're so skilled in, in what you do and helping share people's stories that you're able to do it in so many different realms, whether it be wakeboarding or off-roading or football, it's like, all oh, right, right. shit possible. And you're like, yeah, let's, <laughs> I can have a TV show about that. Let's do that. So that's really cool to see with it. You know, I want to kind of touch on each show. Cause I think it's cool to hear how they all came about, you know, in your life. With the Vikings, mm -hmm. you said you got the call and you moved home. Did the call come out of nowhere? Was there lead up to it? I mean, how did that happen? Oh, I networked. I had been networking and for about two years trying mm -hmm. to get my foot in the door in the TV space. It's not easy to do. And I had, you know, cold called and emailed and written letters. And it actually, actually ended up being a 
follower on Instagram who was a wakeboard fan. I had no idea what his background was. He ended up, um, he worked for the Minnesota Timberwolves, our NBA team. Okay. And yeah. he connected me with his friend who worked for the Vikings in their media oh department. Gosh. So it actually like, it was a, a wakeboard connection that got my foot totally. in the door at the Vikings. And then, yeah, they, they pretty much literally just called and said, Hey, we'd have, we have a part-time position if you'd ever be interested in moving back to Minnesota. Um, and then literally within the same week or 10 days, another production company here called and said, Hey, we have a one show. We have a part-time job. If you ever want to move back to Minnesota. So it was a long two years of networking. And then it was very, yeah. very ironic where in the same basically week, I got two calls, you know, to come back here. So um, it, it, it was a lot of hard work. It sounds like a lot yeah. of, there was luck involved for sure. But, you know, I got told <laughs> no, no, I, yeah, no, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's important. I want people to know, like, no, I was told no quite a few times as okay. well before being told yes. And uh, yeah. it's important, you know, for people to know that that's okay. And um, just stay persistent. If it's something you love, you'll stay persistent with it. Right. Absolutely. So was that, was it hard to leave Florida when you get, you know, two pretty rad phone calls like, hey, you actually have to stop what you're doing there. Come all the, come back and, and restart here. Was that, that hard to do? Um, you know, I was at that time just ready for a change of scenery, a change of pace. Yep. Not that I wanted to leave Orlando, but I just knew like I was ready to go in kind of a different direction. I also get to travel so much for work and have a flexible schedule that I knew I'd be able to come down to Orlando or go down to Orlando often still. Um, so at that time, it was pretty easy because I was so eager and excited to start this new adventure, um, which I think is why it's so rewarding now. Like, okay, I've started this new path. I feel very comfortable in my mm -hmm. new career to be able to now and apply that career back in the wakeboarding industry, back into water sports yeah. um, in a different uh, capacity. Yeah, it's super rewarding and fun. So it kind of everything just came full circle and has been so much fun. Yeah, it's way rad. So my we'll jump kind of into the another one of the shows that you are a part of made for the outdoors. I watched a couple episodes before we uh, hopped on our call today. Yeah. Is there one specific product that you were like, oh, God, this is so sick. <laughs> Like top number one product that you've got to, to look into. Oh my gosh. That's, that's a tricky question. I mean, one product that I was bummed. So we hooked up with Burton and made a Burton snowboard. Yeah. Um, but it was during the pandemic. So we had to do it like virtually. We had to oh, like, get yeah. content from them, <laughs> repurpose stuff. I really wanted to see Burton headquarters, but that show actually ended up winning a couple of awards, which is really neat. Um, I think the coolest, like when I'm there in, yeah. in factory, making these outdoor products from start to finish, it's mm -hmm. meeting the people behind the scenes. It's totally. meeting the people that like would never otherwise be on camera because they're, you know, they're factory workers and they don't ever really get to share their story or get their moments of fame. So it's meeting yeah. those people um, 
And like, there are a couple characters that come to mind where it's like, meeting those people is actually more memorable than like getting to make the actual product. Dude, I bet that's run. That's getting just the people in general. Are you, I want to ask this too, because again, not really a good comparison, but like when I'm filmed my intros for these, I am up here cussing up a storm for hours because I cannot (laughs) I am not a one-take wonder. I cannot do it. It takes me a long time. Are you a one-take wonder or does it take you once or twice before you get the shot? One gift that I have for whatever reason (laughs) is memorization or being able to come up with kind of something on the spot. So I do pretty well just doing it one time. I save a lot of time. We'll say that just by being able to do it. Now, there are certain things that I am not as good at. So it balances each other out. It all, yeah. I will say, yeah, I can memorize a script or just kind of throw something together in my head and do it real fast. Oh, well, nice. Lucky. It'll come. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm working on it. It just, oh my God. If it's just me talking, I just have such an unprofessional sound. Like the way I talk, I'm very like relaxed. So when I need to That's sound okay. a little bit more formal, I get a little like, oh, I don't know how to say that. Like without Maybe sounding you just weird. need to so, be yourself. That's a good point. But sometimes that can get you. Okay. <laughs> yes. I can, yeah. Destination Polaris. You've traveled to so many cool spots. I know you've been asked yes. this question before, but I still wanted to ask, what's the coolest spot? If you can narrow it down to one. You will actually like this. My most memorable show, um, and there's so many, like I could name, as you know, we're going to the most beautiful places in the world. But one of my most memorable shows was Coos Bay in Oregon. Let's go. Oh, nice. Yes. So Southwest Oregon, I didn't realize that there were sand dunes right on the beach. You're like in what feels like a rainforest. And then there's these huge dunes. And then one of the, the most fun things, so we're by the water, which is always a bonus for me. Right. And then um, one of the coolest things was after we wrapped filming, some of the people that we were riding with had connections to this guy who owned this lumber mill down in Coos Bay. So we okay. roll right in there and they're like yelling at us, like, come on. I'm like, what are you talking about? They're like, hop on. We're going to pull crab pots right now like in the bay and we're like uh okay get the cameras back out we like ran yeah. out there pulled these crab pots got back to shore dumped them in the boiling pot of water having this giant bonfire so you know after this long day of riding in this really unique place getting to go in the water do some fishing come back eat food you yeah. just caught it was like the ultimate full experience dude that's so rad that's so yeah. Nice. Shout out Oregon. Let's go. Nice. We may not be the wakeboarding spot, but uh, <laughs> we we got we go sandies, a lot of different so that's fine. Yeah, yeah. We right. got other stuff going on. We got crab. We got everything. That's one thing I do love about it here is that we really do have just kind of a sprinkle of it all, and that's yep. pretty nice to have. Pretty nice to have. Well, you've had a million and one amazing experiences in your life, and it's I'm thankful that you were willing to help kind of break them down for me today and for everybody watching it's been awesome getting to know you better and hearing your story so thank you for sharing thank you for having me this is so fun and I think it's 
it's always nice to get to know the people in the industry, you know, beyond their, what we see in their Instagram or right. what we see in their wakeboard yeah. part. So it's, mm-hmm. that's really fun. I'm glad you're doing yeah. this. Yeah. Thank you. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate you being a part of it and uh, maybe someday I'll see you in the future. Sounds good. And keep working on the intro. You got this girl. Yeah, we got, we got, I'm going to try and one take wonder this one. So (laughs) when everybody, once you get to this part and watching the interview, just know that the intro I did was a one take wonder just for you. (laughs) There we go. I love that. Well, awesome. Thank you so much, Alexa. Thanks, Summer. All right. Later. (laughs) 